Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis, and for our very first episode, we're going to be joined by Mike Chadwick. Mike began his career with the Parachute Regiment back in 2007 and has worked with both the 2nd Battalion the Parachute Regiment as well as Special Forces Support Group. During this time, he deployed and led on multiple operations and overseas exercises before being selected to become the lead physical training instructor of the Infantry Training Centre based in Catterick. It was during this time he also completed a bachelor's degree in sport, fitness and coaching. It was here that he was successfully selected as a Royal Army Physical Training Corps instructor, earning multiple awards and commendations, including a General Officer Commanding Commendation, announced alongside the Queen's Birthday Honours List in 2019. So Mike, hello and welcome to the podcast, mate. Nice to be here, mate. Pleasure. No problem, mate. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Really excited to dig into your background and the work you've implemented within the, uh, the British Army. Um, obviously, me and you, we connected over social media initially, where you've got a very large following. Um, but with regards to the people who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, I am originally Parachute Regiment. I've worked with Tupara and SFSG. Um, I've done that since I've left school for uh, welfare issues, family issues. So that's, I got pushed into that as opposed to doing it for Queen and Country, in all honesty. Um, I then found myself on a PTI course, uh, followed by getting sent up to the Infantry Training Centre, Catrick, where that's where I really started to fall in love with physical development. Um, in the theory side of it, so I was doing you know practical sessions four or five times a day with you know upwards of fifty people during each session. So you, you're covering a lot of ground and a lot of people with different barriers to success, etc. So you learn a lot. But I wanted to know more. I always have done. So I wanted to learn a lot about the theory. So I got myself on a degree, um, d- conducted that full time outside of the army. Told uni I didn't have a job. Told the army I did, never told the army I was in uni. Uh, managed to get through. Um, a full-time three-year degree and then just cracked on I thought oh, this this is my calling now I'm actually pretty good at this got selected for the PT core um, and here I am and that's that's me mate nice mate nice I mean obviously being part of uh, the parachute regiment um, demanding regiment to actually even get in and through selection first of all um, how did you find it initially like going in as a 17 year old into that environment uh, hideous mate, absolutely horrendous. I, you know, I turned up as a gobby seventeen-year-old, thought the world owed me everything, um, but I had nothing else. So, a lot of people turn up. A lot of people are a lot older than me. Some people double my age. Um, sorry about that, mate. And it's, you know, they've 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 got a lot of life experience. They understand. They've been through a lot. So the moment it got a little bit tough for them, they was like, oh, do you know what? I don't need this where I had no idea about anything else. I just presumed that was the army. I presumed that was, you know, what they was doing to us was what the army was. Um, And the significance of it is I only realised that when there was nine originals out of 60-something people who started, um, you know, you only realise the significance of what you've done at the end. Um, But in all honesty, I struggled every single day. I was in no physical shape to to conduct that. I had no strength training as what I'm doing now in Harrogate. Nothing. I played um, a good level of football growing up. And yeah, I thought that would see me through. It did see me through because I I couldn't go home. I had nothing to go home to. I I was joining the army to to 
to be the sole care of my little sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing that at 17. So that, that was me. I was fully invested in whatever they was thrown at me. I was, I was in. Man. Fair enough, mate. I mean, with regards to being in the, the parachute regiment, like how, how long did you serve in the parachute regiment before you made the move over to the, uh, the Royal Army Physical Training Corps? So I, um, I joined the parachute. I started depot in November 2007, uh, straight from school. I then left in April 2008, and then I was selected for the PT Corps in 2000, and I started the training in 2016, um, was fully selected, fully went over in 2017. And yeah, so I was up at... I was up at uh, up in the parachute regiment depot from 14 to 16 or 17. That was, um, you know, that, that's when the transition started, really. Nice, mate. And what, what, what spurred that, that transition on? Why did you want to make that move away from the, the power regiment into the physical training corps? Um, in all honesty, I, I presumed that everyone in the PT corps had the same mindset as me. Everyone wanted to learn more about the body and how to manipulate it. And I... I went up to ITC in Catrick. I went up to Depot because I wanted to go on Special Forces Selection. I was fully in on being a paratrooper. I had nothing else. I knew nothing else. Um, next to no qualifications. And this is all I knew. Being a paratrooper was all I knew. Um, I wanted to go on Special Forces Selection. Went through all the training, for all the briefing course and stuff. was meant to start in uh, the summer course in 2014. And I got pulled off the course to go and do some, be it, you might understand the context, be a 2ICO in Kenya as a training package. And uh, obviously I saw my arse about that and I kicked off that hard. Within a couple of hours, I was set up to Catrick and I thought, right, I'm not sitting still. I'll get myself on a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, did that, binned my telly. So I literally came in from work every day after, after practically applying physical training. Yep. And then in the night time, I just read. I got on my laptop and just read and read and read. Um, and just started getting out assignments and stuff. And I just thought, you know what? I- I'm good at this. I need to continue with this. Um, things are going really well. I thought, I'll go on selection for PT Core just to see what happens, see what it's all about. Um, unfortunately, my that's so that the whole of my welfare issues was built around my mum. Uh, she was an alcoholic. She, she was pretty much dying at the time um, when I was going through going through uni and she I had a lot of time at home I had about six months at home about four months at home from from the military away from everything to look after basically look after my sister and then we was by my mum's side in, in the hospital and I was struggling to learn because I wasn't practically applying it anymore so what I started to do was teach back but teach back on Instagram Okay. So I started writing posts on Instagram and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And all I was doing was for, for, for self-learning, really. It was completely, um, completely all about me. I just wanted to, I wanted to learn. And it went really well. I thought, I've got to continue this. So I went on selection literally four or five months after not doing any work and just bluffed my way through selection. Um, I'd done no physical training whatsoever. I, it was literally, I, I'd get up in the morning, go sit by my mum and go on my laptop. And that's, that's what I was doing all day. I never went for a run, never did any, any sort of training whatsoever. So the muscle atrophy was, was dreadful. My, you know, my cardio 
Mm-hmm. The conspiracy system was dreadful. Every, I turned up and bluffed my way through selection. Somehow got in. And then I was like, right, I've got a choice now. I go back to the Paris um, and crack on with my career there, or I move over and start basically transitioning out of the army. It was my mindset. So this is, I'm thinking early doors here. And that was one of the reasons I thought, this is my ticket to, you know, I want to come home every night. I spent so much time away, you know, it's like seven months away at a time. Um, I thought, oh, that, this is my ticket then. So I'll crack on learning. I'll go there. I'll get some qualifications. I'll see where it takes me. And it's taken me here. Uh, and the doors that it has opened for me has been fantastic. When I moved over, though, people weren't in the same mindset as me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought everyone was going to want to want to learn and adapt and be at the top of their game. So I upped my game again. Going on, so I went again, upped it again and started studying even more, harder, yeah. um, practically applying it even more, doing my own training even more. So I went on there, um, you know, at the top of my game and there wasn't many people around me that had the same mindset as me. And it, it, it upset me a little bit because I was, when the parachute regiment, everyone wants to be the best parachute, but everyone's fit, everyone's amazing at the job. So the, the next step up is special forces. And there's like a queue to get into special forces because everyone wants to say everyone, that's the next step and everyone wants to get on that. In the PT corps, it's almost like people have in a similar way to me, they've, they've tried everything else and that that's their next, they're just going to give that a go as opposed to, you know, it's the next step. They're just going to give it a go. And so people wasn't in the same mindset and that, that got to me a little bit. I, I, I struggled coping with that. Mm-hmm. I struggled, um, you know, when you're trying to provide context for some of your what you're doing and people are just looking at you like you've got two heads and you're thinking, you're, you've been in the PT got 20 years longer than me. You should know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just thought, I, I, you know, I can't be dealing with that. So I, um, I opened my game again and started transitioning out then. So, I mean, obviously, from being a guy who joined up at 17 into the power regiment, you know, good career through there and then moving into the PT Corps and that and to where you're at now. How has your own training and your application of training changed from that 17-year-old to where you're at now? Uh, well, at 17, it was, it was minimal. It was uh, from zero to maximum volume as, as quick as you can possibly. It's everything that, you know, me and you fight against in this moment yeah. in time. That was me back then. And I... Uh, you know, I wasn't ready for it. Fortunately, I got myself through it injury-free. I don't know how, because um, I think about it now and I think about the people I've taught now. And, you know, people are folding like deck chairs a lot quicker than that. <laughs> and uh, so my training my training then was about volume. The parachute regiment intro uh, uh, depot was about volume then. Uh, and that's changed now. It's all about strength. And, and I, I'm in the mindset that I've I've been... I'd like to think I've played a small part in that. And because I'm preaching it, I need to practically apply it as well. So my training has been built around lately. It's more about uh, Olympic lifting. And, and, and I've, I, I completely completely get it with coaches let themselves go because you spend all day coaching people to then go and try and put you, get, in, get a session in yourself and you think, oh, do you know what? I'm sick of talking about it, sick of doing it. Yeah. I just sit down, you know, um, 
I get that. So I tried to do something a little bit different. It was like Olympic lifting. Um, I didn't want to go down the CrossFit route. I just did a little bit of Olympic lifting. I played, I played um, all right standard up football. So things were built around that. So improving agility and speed and power uh, and making sure I was strong enough to, to withstand the full, full length of a game. Um, I ended up playing army level as well. So I, I, that was that, my training started to be aimed towards that um, as opposed to anything sort of tactical. You know, yeah. I, I was always, I'd do that in the day. When I was taking people out on loaded marches, that was part of my training as well. My personal stuff was Olympic lifting for fun. Um, just, you know, your box standards, uh, cleans and snatches mm-hmm. um, and the, the intricate stuff in and around that. And then everything else was built around being the best on the football pitch. Fair enough, man. Fair enough, dude. And I mean, you said earlier on, obviously, with the, the PT course stuff, you went through to the foundation college up at uh, Harrogate. You just talk to us a little bit about uh, the nature of the work you were doing up at Harrogate. Yeah, so I turned up to Harrogate in 2018, uh, uh, January 2018. And as soon as I walked through the doors, there I was, I met a guy called Ben Leach. Uh, I, I think I think you know him, UKSCA. Yeah. Uh, uh, such an intelligent guy. And, you know, as soon as I see people like that, I latch onto them and I want to know everything that they know. I want to, you know, I, I probably bored the life out of him, mate, because I just, I just constantly question him. And, you know, he's a, such a clever guy. And so me and him got together and we both got approached to, to have a look at the training syllabus for the Army Foundation College and how he was training because it just wasn't good and it wasn't fit for purpose. A little bit of context for those who aren't in the military. The Army Foundation College uh, predominantly is for people who are too young to join the regular service. So at 16 and 17, you go there and um, you have a year in training before transitioning into phase two, which would be an adult entry. Mm-hmm. So for example, for the parachute regiment, you'd go there for one full year. You would then enter training back then at, at, at a bit deeper, but back then it was around about week 12 or week 10. And from there, you would then crack on with parachute regiment training, but you would have been given a year's worth of foundation as such. That foundation at first wasn't there. It was just one year worth of uh, fraction and adventure training. Um, so they turned up to Pyrex Depot and the, the dropout rate was at like, I think it was 20.04% at that point. You know, it's that. And if you look at the army as a business, that's poor business. That's, yeah. You don't need yeah. that. Um, so that's one element. And then you've obviously got every other unit in the military who's, who's got the same. Now, the pass rate wasn't as bad as that. Nowhere near as bad as that. It was still pushing up to 100%. But these people were that, what with the way we approached it was they're not sustainable for 20 years. You know, in three or four years, they're going to have the same niggles that, that we had. Um, yeah. And we still do. And, you know, because I, I didn't think of that process back then. So we entered that. But at the same point, I got approached by the parachute regiment. And it was, it was you know, things aligned there. It just so happens that I was a paratrooper. I taught at ITC. Um, I've got a degree in coaching. And now I've just so happened to fall upon the Army Foundation College. Very, very lucky. Things aligned. Um, and I got approached by them to see if I could do anything about that 20.04%. And I said, okay, I'll have a look at it. Uh, I did a little bit of work on individualizing training before that at a demographic, which was 40 times the age of the one I'm doing now, people about 105 in the military and asking me to train them Mm -hmm. um, in a headquarters down south. 
And so they knew about what I could do in individualizing training. That was a concept I ran away with. I, I, I always was in the mindset that everyone needs to train slightly differently, even if it's to achieve the same aim, because we are built differently. Then when you add that to children, it's a whole different ball game again. And you know that those differences are, are multiplied. So I had opportunities going on one way at one end and CMS, uh, the common military syllabus with Ben Leach on the other end. And they were alongside my day job. And uh, opportunities was all, they asked me to do that quickly. That needs to be implemented quickly because 20% is not good enough. And there's talk about shutting it down. They, they didn't need that anymore. That's the, the attrition rate was too long. CMS 18 could take a little bit, a little bit longer. So I started with Opercules and I started individualizing training there. And it was really, really simple. I went to every big rig I knew, Ben Leach being one of them, um, doctors, physios, tried to build a picture about why these people were failing. And I, I, I knew, you know, I knew it, it wasn't, it was because it wasn't strong enough. I didn't know the intricate details of why that was. But so I went and asked all loads of questions, got brought loads of data up. And I was like, right, we haven't got much time. What I can't do is spend one year outside of their training with them because it'd be too much for them. That again, even if it's strength training, would be still too much volume because they've got their day job. Yeah. So we agreed on that it would be uh, three days a week for their last 12 weeks of training. So they almost have a foundation with AFC, which we, me and Ben Leach on another end was going to change. Mm -hmm. But at this time, it was the old stuff. And then a foundation, and then a second foundation with me in Opachilles, which was built around strength, followed by then then moving on to parachute regiment phase two, which we dropped the, the week the start week, so they, they drop in at week uh, sometimes week six now and week eight. So they had a lot longer training, but the when they was going in at like week twelve, their feet didn't touch the ground; they just got in, and the adult entry at week 12 to what the junior soldiers were going in at was far too advanced for them. They just couldn't do it. They didn't have that foundation. Um, so we, we said, right, we've got 12 weeks, three days a week, 36 sessions. What can we achieve? What We're not going to get them. They're not going to be the be all and end all by this 36 weeks. They're not going to be a paratrooper by this time. What can we do? So I came to the decision that it's going to be strength. I need them to build hypertrophy. Um, I need them to build strength. And we're just going to provide parachute regiment phase two with a, with a platform for them to instruct and work on. Nothing else. I need to improve glute strength and core stability. Yeah. And I need that embedded in them. Everything they do then is when, they move, when their limbs are moving freely, and by that point they should have been out um, at their adolescent stage and moving into you know, early adulthood then, they should be strong enough to be able to withstand the rigors of training um first go 20% went up to 34% second input thing I, I moved things around changed it got a new needs analysis went up to 36 um up to 42 44 and 46% now um which was good so we closed the gap on the adult entry instantly and all it was was providing that foundation of strength now the key thing about that was that that four, so the 54% who failed it wasn't predominantly failing on physical activity. They're failing on everything else. You know, the strongest people, you know, the fittest people I've ever seen were failing in depot because they've never felt um, pain. They've never been in that. You know, you've got your UK elite level runners who turn up to parachute regiment depot thinking, I'm fit enough. It should be easy. You know, and then you had me at the other end who was, you know, 
in absolute disarray from week one day once I knew I, I you know, I, I didn't expect this, I didn't plan for this. Yeah. So week one day one when I was in trouble and hurting, I got used to that. That became the norm for me. Where these people who had ran, you know, for for Britain or played elite level rugby up until the 25 and then moved over, they've never felt pain. So the moment it got a little bit tough, they went, I don't need this. Yeah. Um, so they normally drop out. So that 54% that dropped out, they are, they're dropping out from other things. So I, we can't necessarily put a finger on it. It's physical activity. So that's quite a nice feeling. Now, the way we could um, quantify that was those that made it to Parachute Regiment uh, Depot P Company Test Week, which is about week 20, week 21, we now had an 88.5% chance of passing, which is the highest it's, you know, you can, it doesn't get any higher than that. And yeah. these people are 16. So I was thinking, right, these are strong enough. And it's the instructors who do that at Depot that they are unbelievable. The parachute regiment instructors are incredible. Um, and you know, paratraining company from the HQ down to the screws are unbelievable at what they do. So all I needed to do provide them with a foundation so that they can mold these into young paratroopers mm-hmm. and the system worked and it worked incredibly well and all it was was looking at looking at them as children understanding their you know that I need to understand them in, in terms of maturational status alongside chronological status understanding that every one of their bodies are completely different understanding needs analysis of what makes not what makes a good paratrooper, but what I can provide a foundation to make a good paratrooper, strong glutes and a strong core, mm-hmm. and understanding my time frame and making that happen. And it just worked, and it works really well, and it's getting better and better and better. And every time we take a little another another course, we collect more data. So what I what what the plan is now with the using that data is is it needs to get better. The pass rate just needs to go up. Not everyone's going to be a paratrooper. It's not easy. And if, and if it was easy, everyone would do it and everyone would be earning £200 extra a month. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And so we won't ever have a 100% pass rate because that's not the idea. Um, if that happened, then happy days. But the idea is to get the best. If you don't fit that mould, then, then you won't get in. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that was key. So we utilised that into CMS 18 with Ben Leach. We, we looked at the youth physical development model very, very closely um, alongside the long-term athlete development model, so LTAD. Yep. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, but the, the one we looked at predominantly was, was youth physical development model. Um, the guy, Dr. Rodri, I think his name was. Yeah, uh, very clever. Yeah, from uh, Cardiff, Dr. Rodri. Yeah, from Cardiff, yeah. mate, yeah. So um, I missed the chance to go down and see him, actually. Ben went down and seen him. Um, he was he was really really forward thinking, impressed by what we was doing up there, um, which he would be because he was using his work. Um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it was it, we utilised that, and we just looked at we looked at what we could teach them in such a short space of time, and then we said, right, now we've got one year to do that, and I had twelve weeks to put to make a, to make that foundation for a parachute. We now got one year. What can we do in a year? This is a long, long time. And for some people who are engineers or signalers going into trade like training that's that one year is still only like 30 percent 33 percent of their overall training package to be a soldier yeah so you think that's incredible what they do after that is up is up to them we can't we can't affect that we they, we've been asked the questions to affect it but we can provide them with the strongest young soldier that's 
not just going to make it through training, we'll get a 100% pass rate, that's easy. But what we will do is these children are going to be able to withstand the rigours of um, the military for not one year, two years or three years for training, but for 10, 15, 20 years. And we won't see the fruits of that labour until 20 years time. And they're like, wow, I feel all right, actually. I haven't got any niggles. I still feel okay. Because we provide them with that platform before anything else, which is really key. And so, Mike, just to give people an idea of like what it's like up in Harrogate, obviously you talked about the, the guys going through Op Achilles for the, the parachute regiment as well as the other cap badges. You talk to us a little bit about like what the actual like number of soldiers you've got coming through Harrogate is and what the general physical outlook of those guys currently coming through is. Like are they up to scratch or is like have you seen like a deconditioning effect in like attendant soldiers? Um, so there's roughly around about an um, an overlay of about a thousand people a year mm -hmm. uh, that go through. So in and out. I think at one point you've got about 1,800 people on camp. Now that is a mix of junior soldiers and instructors, so adult entry, which we also need to have a separate training package. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to those questions in a minute about yeah. how they look at the training. But in terms of deconditions, so when we first, when I first turned up there, that was one of the primary things. Everyone was saying, you know, you've got the Xbox generation here. No one moves. Everyone's turned up and getting injured straight away. Um, you know, we got valgus knees and sore ankles, the exact same. And, um, I read one of, I think you put it up about the 101st Airborne, about the musculoskeletal injuries. Yeah. Uh, exactly the same. Everyone in the world's going through the same thing. That You know, 60% of injuries are lower limbs. We was in the same boat. And we was in the same boat times, you know, 10 because there was children and we're trying to put load onto them without a foundation strength. So the same thing applied and it's applying all over the world. So in terms of decondition, yes. Now what you see is uh, it's a long, slow burner, but towards the end of training, these people are exactly the same as where they was two years ago in terms of um, aerobic capacity, but they're so much stronger. So we've managed to keep their aerobic capacity at the same level and get them through their output test to a better standard. The output test uh, measures have gone up, actually. The percent's better. But the musculoskeletal injuries have come down significantly. And that's all due to this, you know, foundation of strength. We're looking at them. You know, we're, we're, we're doing... We're just doing the basics right. We're doing the really simple basics right. And, you know, and, and Ben Leach, I'll talk about him again, has been the pioneer of that. He is... He, you know, he's got about 35 jobs up there. Um, and he's, he just gets... One of the things in the PT course is that at the moment you show competency, you snookers, you're absolutely yeah. done because people just layer that on. Um, he's one of those guys. And uh, yeah, so now they're in really good shape. They're moving on to phase two. And now that we, we don't consider them that. We consider everyone when they walk through the door as a training age of zero until they prove otherwise. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. And I, every every unit I go to, I consider myself as a coaching training level of zero until I prove otherwise. Um, I think that's a fair way to do it. Until you until you understand, you know what's going on, and you get a good look at everyone and what they can do. Because what we do is we break it down so simply, like you know, sit stands in a squatting position when you've got a under fifteen powerlifter. Yeah. And you're like, and and she's looking at you, going, I think I'll be all right get that bar over my head yeah. um, and you're like that's absolutely fine and we go through the correct protocols but they she's 
speeded, speeding up. She does it a lot quicker. But the movement competency chart that we use is she has to go through that until okay. she proves otherwise. And that's just one example. Um, and then you get obviously elite swimmers, etc. So why are we doing? Why are we teaching the breaststroke? Yeah, everything. Do you know what I mean? We we go through absolutely until you prove otherwise. That's it. But in terms of conditioning now, people are in good shape. Pass rates have gone up significantly. Musculoskeletal injuries have come down significantly. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to put my neck on the line and say that it's been improved and the condition of these, you know, young adults are getting better and better. And the army will only benefit from that, not just now, but for 20 years, 30 years. Hopefully it continues. And people, so people will come in after me and Ben with better and new ideas and add on to that, which is fantastic. And they've got, you know, a little bit of context to go from. They've got more data to go to utilize, which is one of the things that previously before I got there, there was absolutely no data to suggest all it was, was did they pass or did they not? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, how can you use that in an s and world? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, we needed everything. I wanted to know, you know, angles of the ankle and why are they failing? You know, it's, you know I wanted to know everything. Um, they've got that now. And that will just build and build and build. So whoever comes after me and Ben will just make that better, hopefully. Nice, nice. Like I said, just continuing to build on that foundation you guys have implemented there. You're saying a little bit about your um, movement competency document. What, what does yeah. that actually look like? What, what's your foundation stuff you focus on and how do you build up through from that? Um, it's a range. So if we utilize it, I'll go back to you. Um, I started talking about the squats. So we'll look at that. Uh, basically, every single, every single soldier or junior soldier, potential soldier, they all go through the same competency profile. Now, you may sit at sit to stand for a long time, but what we will then do is utilize internal external cues and everything else around that to ensure that you get that sit to stand. That will go green. You'll then move on to the next stage. The, the, the last stage is an overhead squat, um, which people can get to straight away. But the demographic that you've got who have got extremely tight hip flexors because they've sat on their ass for a long time, not everyone. and well, I'd argue minimal, get to that stage until the end. But people do, people get there. Um, and it, all it is, is, is is the chart is there for the physical training instructors so they can also manage that situation as well. Because when you've got 50 people on the shop floor, to try and manage everyone's competency profile and have you know 50 people squatting at once is really, really difficult. And bearing in mind, you've got physical training instructors there who've done an eight-week course, their first eight-week course in physical development as well. They, we, in the army, we do have annual deficit training, but you know, this that you you have people with doctorates or who would stand in front of fifty people and try and get them all squatting at once would probably struggle. Yeah. So you, these these physical training instructors have done really well to do that. So what we had was a competency chart that every single person ticks off, um, and they move along that chart as they go through training, uh, and we have you know we have areas that we can intervene in order to ensure that they get there. And what that does as well is, let's say not, let's say someone doesn't get to that overhead squat, we would pass that information onto phase two. Okay. So they know where they're starting as well, which previously didn't happen. Phase two, you just got 50 people who turned up. It was just like, like start again or get on board and let's just go. You, you, we're up to nine, nine, nine miles at seven minute miles, jump on. No one knows where they have, they've never ran that before or, you know, if they've got any injuries or why they can't run or where, they, where their bodies are. So now they turn up with, you know, almost a profile. It's almost um, a bio on their physical aptitude. 
which is really good. And that chart hopefully is now moving into the military, uh, the rest of the military as well, phase two and beyond, I'd like to think. Nice. Nice, mate. That sounds awesome, dude. I mean, with regards to the work you and Ben have done then, with bringing up the strength program and making guys a lot more robust um, going through like training, obviously historically within the, the military, they've had more of a traditional like, endurance, higher volume, calisthenic um, sort of training program. So was there any barriers or anything you guys in, in, encountered when you were starting to come into the strength and hypertrophy program? Yeah, uh, straight away. You know, the famous saying in the military, as it is in every S&C con- uh, world, is, but we've always done it this way. Yeah. Um, so trying to get a fifth, someone who's been in the army for 15 years, and bearing in mind they own a pair of running trainers, so they presume they're a running coach, um, they are, we're trying to get them to say, no, we're not running today. We're going to squat, and we're going to squat at, you know, plus 84% of their 1RM. Yeah. And they look at you like you're an alien. Why? Why don't we just go for a run? If they can't run, then they shouldn't be here. Well, we haven't taught them how to run. We haven't gave them that platform to teach them how to run. So our biggest barrier was the instructors. Just, you know, And only a few people who read or into that type of thing would, would be like, oh, no, let's hear them out. Let's see what he can do. But our biggest barrier was, you know, no, I'm not into that. And, and then when he was like, uh, so when we first changed the program, the first sessions are so, so simple. It's just basically teaching them how to walk, uh, you know, walk properly and, and the, the, teaching them then how to run properly and how to basically sit down and stand back up. Mm-hmm. So, so simple. Um, and, you know, uh, going back to the, your physical development model where you've got these children who are, um, their locomotion's off, the stabilization's off because their limbs are growing astronomically at this peak height velocity, the, the biggest change in their bodies. They are, when we start adding load, which what the instructors wanted us to do early on, you know, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. They can't move at all because they don't understand their bodies in space. So how can they possibly sit to stand effectively when they've got, you know, they've just tripled their femur length overnight? And um, so what we basically said was to the instructors, get on it. You know, you're 15 years in, you decondition yourself because I'll take you outside and you might be able to hold on, but you'll be struggling for a couple of days after. Get on it. Let's just just trial it. Just give it a go. And he was like, no, no, no. Anyway, they got on it and they was in more shit state than the, than the junior soldiers because they've just never done that before. They've never. So what we then do is that if it's a squat session and 90% of the junior soldiers are on sit to stand still and, you know, you've got that one female powerlifter who can overhead squat, she can load. She's gone through that competency profile. She can load. But we utilize that competency profile on the instructors as well. We thought, let's get them involved. So we could be squatting at, you know, people are just doing air squats. Some people are doing sit to stands. This instructor over here is a really good squatter. So we're going to look at hypertrophy today. And you are going to squat at 74.4% today of your 1RM, which we've worked out. This young powerlifter over here um, is going to be doing it overhead squat at this people can still do a plethora of movements within that squat session. Yeah. But until you show me that you've earned the right, you're saying we sit to stands with everyone else because you, ha- you can't do it. Um, and people were struggling. He was coming up to us two or three days later saying, my core is, I can't move. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because you've just done the basics. Well, how do you think these junior soldiers feel? You've got a training age of zero. You've got 15 years worth of volume, basically. Yeah. That's why you're struggling. These have got zero. 
So trying to get them in, and the only way we could get them to buy in was to put them in it with everyone else. And only when the pass rates, because we had a year to go before you could see a pass rate. So that's what they look at. They want to know the output, the numbers. Give me the numbers, you know. And then until he started realising that their muscular injuries are coming down. And not only that, when you start looking at their tactical and technical side, when they're starting to do their military-specific stuff, they're better. Yeah. So they're more alive in the harbour area. Where, and, uh, you know, on the... When they're firing, they've got more strength to hold the weapon system up. So they're measuring the the, the firing, the, the the grouping of the rifles coming down, and then they're starting to say, "Oh, okay, okay, I can see this now." You know, previously before, where they'd go out and do a six-mile run, followed by a two-hour drill session, where they're marching around the square and they're applying all that impact through the knee joints and stuff, and their their drill sergeants are wondering why they can't move, and they're like, "You know, you shit at drill," yeah. and they're not shit at drill. They're just tired. You know, they've just done a, they've just done a six mile run that they've, they've never done that in their lives. And now what you want to do is do knees to chest for the next two hours and you, you're wondering why they can't move. Um, and it's just little things like that, those little changes that we had to put in and the barriers that the instructors were providing for us were just unbelievable. Um, but they grew and, you know, they got on board. The best thing about it was the headshed was on board. We had massive, we had all the backing from all the top corridor um, which was fortunate because if we didn't, it would have been a bit, we've still been arguing the case now. We'd have still been at the development stage now. Um, but they were fully invested because they could see the output. They could see the outcome, which was good. Um, and, you know, we delivered to them. We'd like to think we delivered with the scientific rationale to show that. Um, but yeah, so at first, the barriers were ridiculous, mate. But now that people are on board and they're starting to, and even more so, even the soldiers who have got 15 years worth of, the wrong training I started to turn around now and get the right and it's never too late it's just a bit more difficult fair enough man fair enough. and I mean I find it interesting you were saying there about like obviously the applied side for the guys like for the tactical work they're actually doing which is their their job for the guys who may not be aware of it like uh what is the the load soldiers are facing nowadays from like either weapon systems or just carrying all their kit what sort of load are they expecting to have to come around like in Iraq or Afghanistan yeah, um, so I put a post up, it was a few months ago and I need to redo it because people are asking the same question again. Um, and it was in terms of how load has changed over time since World War II and what percent of that of the average body weight. Um, now, everyone, I always get questions on Instagram is what should I be able to lift in order to be competent as a tactical athlete? Now, that in terms of relative strength, it doesn't matter. Because whatever the load is, it has to go. And the load changes on a continuous basis. So if someone goes down, their kit still needs to go. So you just need to be able to carry everything. You need to be a mule. You, it, you can't go onto the battlefield and say, well, well, I can lift, you know, 100% of my body weight. So this is my load. And you can't add anything onto that. And I know I can go from A to B at this time. We know A to B is going to change. And we know the load's going to change. Things are going to get lighter. Things are going to get heavier when we start pulling kit across. So in terms of what they can lift is, is as heavy as possible. If whatever, so if you're, the stronger you are, the less likelihood that load will tax your body. So it's all about building that strength. So there's not a number that I could possibly put on it. But what we do know is that the kit is getting heavier. Was it's now coming back the other way. We're starting to, you know, money's getting pumped in to make the kit lighter, which is okay. great. Um, but what that normally means is, is 
is they had they find something else to throw on. Um, it's always the way. They, uh, but in terms of so as a paratrooper, there's only so much load that you can take when you jump. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's funny because the heaviest guys take the less weight because it's an accumulative load of your body weight plus kit that you can jump with. Yeah. Um, because obviously we'll be leaving with, if, if you get when you get the Fijians who weigh 18 stone and they're carrying another 18 stone worth of kit, uh, they're going to hit the ground pretty hard. Where I'm just going to, if, if I'm carrying, I'm going to float for a long time. I've missed the DDF. So we all, we all get the same amount of load, basically. So those skinny people who just done volume, 17-year-olds who just struggled their way through depot and they weigh, you know, 60 kilogram piss wet through. Yeah. I'm carrying the most weight off that, off that drop zone. I need to be strong enough to be able to withstand that. Um, and that's the way I look at it now. So my idea on that and the hypertrophy and, and the strength training for these junior soldiers was the fact that I know when they hit that DZ, they're still only 17. They're going to be built like who I was back then. I'm going to be like, I know the load they're going to be carrying. So they need to be strong enough. So in terms of the amount they need to carry, it is, you know, how it's, 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 uh, it can be as heavy as possible, but they just need to be ready for that. And that load will change. And A to B will change, so they just need to be ready to adapt and evolve into any of that. So the stronger they are, the better. Sweet, sweet. Thanks, mate. Uh, obviously, you've had like a really successful career in the military, and like obviously you're starting to talk about transitioning out. For like a younger guy out there who's maybe listening to this and is like, oh, okay, I really would like to follow a similar career path as Mike. What advice would you give to that guy? Just do it. You need to understand why you're doing it. Um, and one thing I never looked at, because I never had the chance to look at, was the moment you join the military, you need to start thinking about the, your way out. So the military is like a football career. It's very short. It's very rewarding. And you will meet people who will end up becoming your family. Um, you'll see the world and you'll do a lot of things that you'll be able to talk about for many, many years. And it'd be, you know, it'd be an incredible experience and people towards the end of their career start, whether that you've been in for four years or 24 years, start saying, Oh, I'm fed up now. I need to leave. The moment they leave, they regret it. Mm -hmm. um, they miss it. Um, when I left the parachute regiment, although I've, I've been fortunate enough to stay and keep my toe in the water and work with the parachute regiment, even when leaving, you know, that it really got to me. I struggled with it because that they were my family then. Um, they were all I knew. And, you know, we've, we've done a lot together. We've, you know, been all over the world. I've been in some of the worst situations I've ever been in. I've been in some of the best situations I've ever been in with them. So to leave that is a struggle. So what I would always argue is that when you first join, you need to start considering your output. And that could be in 30 years time, 40 years time for some people. But always have a backup plan. This is a short career. Um, 20 years is a short career in the military. You, I think you can retire at, you know, 40 something years old. So it's a, it's a very short career, but you need to have, and you'll go through your, you'll get qualifications as you go. I think if you do your full career, you get a, uh, a degree in management, I think it is, um, which is really good. But you need to understand the, the context and what you're going to get out with. So I would always argue the point. A lot of people say, oh, I'm thinking about going to uni. I'm thinking about joining the army. I would always say go to uni first. Go and get that done. Get that part of your life done. I'd never seen any of that. Mm -hmm. um, one of my best things I did, by the way, when I joined the military was when all my friends from school started going to uni on the weekends, 
I would go to a different university every week, which was incredible. Um, so I'd be in the military, and if I had the weekend off, I'd go to Leeds Uni or you know, um, Newcastle Uni or, and spend the weekend there and pretend that and just embed myself in university, yeah. um, which was fun. But I would, I would go and get that done now. But then in the other side, I would really have a good think about what you want to do. So I always get a message, should I join the Paris or Marines? That's the message I get all the time. Which one should I join? And it's what, what do you want? It's, you know, if you're going to join the Paris with that mindset that you was one or the other and, you know, one's a second, you're not going to pass. I can, I can assure you now you will not pass. If you want to join the parachute regiment, you need to turn up week one, day one, thinking this is what I want. This is all I've got. I need this. I need to become a parachute because if you have any doubt, you'll fail. Um, and that is as simple as that. Um, if you want to trade, then you need to consider that as well. So that's another good way of looking at the output is, is going and joining the engineers and getting a trade, um, which would be fantastic. I'd always advocate for that as well. But I would always think about the final bit. What do you want out of your life? Are you going to be one? Because if you join the parachute regiment in 25 years' time and you're leaving and saying, I want this job, and they're going, well, what experience have you got? Well, I'm a steely-eyed you know, killer. I'm really good at closing on the enemy and shooting people. Yeah. Put, you're probably not going to get a job. Um, you know, I've jumped out of planes. I've got sore knees. You're not going to get a job. So you've got to have... You've got, to have an, you've got to have a second opinion. You've got to go and find something, you know, and the Paris will give you everything. They'll give you absolutely everything. You get, you get money to spend every year to go and, and upskill yourself, but you've got to take ownership of that. They're not going to give it to you. So a lot of people now in the parachute regiment are really switched on the fact that they're, they're, they're going out and getting management qualifications. They're getting, um, whether that's personal training qualifications, they're going out and doing something. So they've always got that. And people spend a lot of years, they spend 30 years, but you've got to still look at the output. And understand exactly what you want to do, um, and then go and get it. There's no one's going to give it to you. That's sweet. That's some that's some good advice there, Mike. Uh, so, following that, then, mate, can you just give us a little update of what you're currently doing now with your career, and you know how can people get in touch with you going forward? Yeah. So at the moment, I um, I conduct online personal coaching uh, for a lot of people. A lot of my it it doesn't have to be, but most of my clientele or athletes are tactical athletes and whether that's them taking their first step or next step in their tactical athlete development, that's predominantly what my uh, client list looks like. And that's all stemmed from uh, Instagram. I started an Instagram account called Coach Mike Chadwick. Uh, and yeah, people just reach out to me on there and just say, listen, I'm, I'm thinking about going on this course. Can you help me with training? And I bring them on to my book. I only bring a, a few people on a month. Um, but it ensures that I can give my utmost attention to each one of those um, athletes. Uh, so a lot of people don't get through the application process. It's got to be an application process, I think, because you've got to have a good coach-athlete relationship. We've got to have an understanding of each other. A lot of people just want to put the money down and say, put me in this direction. And it's not always the case because we might not bond well. You might not like me as a coach. I might not like you as an athlete. And that doesn't always make a successful partnership. Um, but it's... You know, at least we have some clarity about who we are, where we are, you know, where we're going to go. And I need to ensure that my athlete's aim now becomes my aim. So you can reach me out on that. And that's predominantly what I do on a full-time basis now is online personal coaching. But aside from that, I've, uh, I hypothesized a few years ago about uh, I could work out the exact amount of resistance you can put through each muscle group within your body. I, I built an what I'd like to consider an artificial intelligence coaching platform where I input a few pieces of data 
and it spits out a lot of information about the body and how that body can move. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I'm working on at the moment, and that's going um, that's going really well. So that there's that's now a coaching platform that's that's going around the world doing the rounds, um, and it, it stems from my online personal coaching. So I I would individualize in training and prescri- and given the exact amount of resistance. So what you will see commonly in personal training context would be someone will tell you to lift 10 times X, four times, go. Um, and that doesn't give any, any clarification of what that's going to do to the body, how your previous session is affected. It's going to affect that 10 times three. How is that going to affect your next session? Um, how is it going to affect your next set? So there's no, what I like to do is correct prescription. And that's another reason why I only take a few people on. I need them to know this amount of resistance for this amount of time, for this amount of reps, and this set with this amount of rest. That way, when the athlete goes to the gym, they can just be the athlete. They don't have to think left or right of it, and their mindset is on their end goal. Sweet. So that's something that I'm working on um, at the moment in, in, that, in that development, that coaching platform. Cool, mate. No worries, mate. I'll make sure, like in the show notes here as well, I put up any links to your social media and your website as well. Um, oh, yeah. Last question for you, mate. Just out of curiosity, can you give us a, a book, an app, or a website recommendation that you're currently looking at? Yeah, so um, I mean, a website would uh, um, a good little plug here, mate, would be you know, you've been on there yourself in on the academy, which you can find at um, tactical dash athlete, uh, dash being the little line in the middle. Yep. Um, .co.uk. You go onto there. There's 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 a page on there called the Academy, which is growing and growing, um, and that basically provides. It's all the science that we've talked about earlier, but it's 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 basically moving research articles and putting them into a blog-like format that everyone can read and everyone can can build a picture from. Because what what I found in the past is that I've built all this knowledge up, I've read all these research articles and I've stood in front of commanders and tried to sell um, my idea and it was full of jargon that people wouldn't understand. So what I've always been in the mindset of is I need to try and transition that into um, words uh, and a visual that people can understand, everyone can understand. So again, going back to whether it's your first or or next or final step in your tactical athlete development, you can go on there and read and understand the process that you're going to be going through and whether that's improving strength, improving speed, and the understanding of why speed is important in order to keep you alive on the battlefield, that will provide it. So that's called the Academy, and that's, that's on tactical-athlete.co.uk, and that is full of, you know, you're on there, it's full of, what I would like to consider is, is I'm getting all the best coaches in a military context from around the world and putting them on there, and they can are easily reachable to whether you want to know more about them or what they're talking about, you can find them. So I'd, I'd push people towards that, mate. Sweet. No worries, mate. I'll make sure I link that up for guys to go check out as well. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time and being our first guest and coming to talk to us today. Uh, I've made a ton of notes, mate. This has been really informative. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, mate. I'll speak to you soon, buddy, okay? See you soon, mate. See you soon, bud. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed the content here, please check out our website at monarchhumanperformance.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with future podcast episodes, articles, and upcoming content, including training programs and live and online workshops.